So I exhort the elders among you, and as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is, to be, that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have for you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not dominioning over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that you may, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And as you have suffered a, a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Word of God. Behind the pulpit, is that what you're Short joke. All right. Vin, did I say Finn? I'm sorry, Vin. I know your name. All right. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope that you do. Please turn to First Peter chapter five. We are getting close to the end of this uh, letter, and then. Uh, we'll, we'll jump into Second Peter in a couple of weeks after this one. Let me pray, and then we will dive in. Father in heaven, you remind us over and over again that you are our God, that you are good, uh, that you are a shepherd to us, that you, uh, you guide us and lead us, um, but beside uh, waters that we can drink from. You lead us to green pastures that we can eat from in abundance. So God, I, I pray again that you would remind us of your goodness uh, through this uh, portion of your word today. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, uh, minds to understand, and hearts to receive, uh, again, the good news of your gospel message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who do you follow? Maybe it's a, a supervisor at work or, or a boss at work. Maybe it's the, the man or woman that is ranked above you in the military. Maybe you follow your parents, your teachers, your friends. But if you think about it, we all follow someone, and quite possibly we all lead others as well. So who are you leading? Maybe it's your family. Maybe you run a small business on your own and you're leading your employees there. Maybe you are the one with soldiers under your charge. Maybe you are the leader of your friend group. 
and they do as you command. What's crucial to understand that both leading and following are important. It's important if you are a leader in your job or in your family to lead well. But it's also important to be someone who is led well. Someone who's a good follower. Because, you know, in some leader-follower situations, it could be a matter of life and death if you're not a good leader, but also if you're not a good follower. It could be the matter of, of having a good job or losing a job if you're not a good leader or a good follower. Well, today in our text, Peter is talking to his readers about this very idea. That the leaders of the churches are to be leading humbly, and those under their leadership are, are being humble followers. As a New Testament scholar, Tom Schreiner says, he says, Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. And this is how Peter, or how God, is calling us to, to lead and how he's calling us to follow. Humbly. And I would argue that this is, this is especially true between the leaders and those being led within a local congregation. So Peter gives three exhortations here from the text to help us reach that goal as one of these local congregations. So three, three ways. One is to lead with humility in verses 1 through 4. Two is to follow with humility, verses 5 through 9. And then three is the way we are able to do all of that. How do we, how do we lead uh, humbly? How do we follow with humility? So first, lead with humility. Look at verse 1. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So as Peter is entering into his closing remarks of his letter, he begins with an exhortation to the leaders of the churches that he is writing. So we can only assume that Peter is not writing to just one particular church like Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. Peter is writing to a multitude of churches here in Asia Minor. And these leaders that he is exhorting are known as elders. Now this may or may not be a term familiar with you, uh, especially if you're new to church just in general, or you may have never been in a church that had formal, formal eldership. But an elder, quite simply, in biblical language, and you'll hear me use these over and over and interchangeably, is a pastor. An elder is a shepherd. An elder is an overseer of a local church. And these elders are qualified men according to the biblical standards that we mainly find in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 in the New Testament. They're leading according to how the Bible calls them to lead. So just reading from a place like Titus chapter 1, verses 6-9, through 9, because you can find the same qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says concerning the qualifications of elders. And listen closely, because we are going to be nominating elders here soon. So listen closely to these qualifications. If anyone is above reproach, 
the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be, be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. So these were the types of men that Peter is addressing here in verses 1 through 4. And the first thing we have to kind of notice here is that Peter, as, as Peter exhorts these men, he is doing it out of his own experience and his own authority that he has within these churches. So three, three more things that we learn about Peter, just in verse 1 of chapter 5. One is that he is a fellow elder. So much like Paul, Peter acts as, uh, as an elder pastor of the churches that he has been given charge over. And this is more of what we would call an apostolic role or, or, or the role of, of an apostle, apostle as these churches were being established. So this is, this is the early church. There is not a, a church on every street corner like there is here now in the United States. These, these men, like Peter and Paul, were traveling around and establishing churches in these various places that they were visiting. So Peter knew firsthand what it meant to be a shepherd, an elder, a pastor, and, and actually, Peter was told by the great shepherd Jesus uh, what to do as a shepherd. In John 21, if you remember that interaction that Peter has after the resurrection and after he swims to Jesus uh, and he's talking to him, Jesus uh, asked Peter over and over again, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, of course I love you, Lord. You know that I, you know that I love you. And then Jesus follows up with three times, Feed my sheep. Tend to my sheep. Feed my sheep. So Peter understands the, the significance and the weightiness of what he's asking these elders to do in these verses. Peter understands the charge to shepherd the flock as a charge from Jesus himself. And this is how any elder after him should understand it as well. In the first century and today, that Jesus is the one, the great, the, the, the chief shepherd. He is the one who, who counsels all the elders after him of how to take care of his sheep. The second thing we learn about Peter is that Peter is exhorting them as one who is a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Now this was a big deal. Because this is, this is what gave Peter his apostolic authority, his apostle authority. So an apostle in the Scriptures is typically defined as one who has, has witnessed the sufferings of Christ. So Peter was a disciple of Jesus, so Peter observed everything about Jesus in some way, shape, or form. He observed his life. He observed his death, even if it was from a distance. And he observed his resurrection. In Luke 24, 48, Jesus declares to his disciples that they are witnesses to His life, death, and resurrection. 
So Peter and the other disciples saw firsthand what Jesus did for His people. They saw firsthand what the chief shepherd was willing to do for His sheep. Jesus tells us this in John 10, 11, that Meredith read for us earlier. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Peter saw Jesus do this with his own eyes. He saw him fulfill those words. So the third way that Peter exhorts these elders is as a fellow partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. So, so not only is Peter uh, in this kind of authoritative position as a shepherd and as an apostle, and he kind of guides the churches in this way, Peter is also one that is right there with the people he's leading. Peter is not in some faraway distant land or in some higher position where he remains untouched. Jesus himself told Peter that he would also suffer and die. For Jesus' name. So Peter was in the midst of it. And this is key. This is a key thing to understand about elders and about pastors and about shepherds. Is a shepherd should be with his sheep. He should not be one who is locked away in his study. He should not be one who, is, who thinks he's too good to interact with the crowds before and after and during the services. A pastor should be with his people. Because he's also one of them. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird kind of, 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 of um, um, responsibility to, that a shepherd has. Because one, an elder is a shepherd. But at the very same time, that shepherd is also a sheep. So we have kind of this... Uh, you know, double personality happening at the same time. But it was a reminder that elders are not above you in this way, pointing their finger down and saying, do right, act right, or else. But that they are with the people. So Peter understood this. He too, he is saying, will become a partaker of the same glory that he's been telling his readers about. Peter doesn't get an, uh, an extra special glory. He receives the same glory at the second coming of Christ. So you can see from the text in, in 1 Timothy and Titus with these qualifications, and in Peter's words here, that, that God's plan for local congregations inclu included qualified men serving in a capacity of oversight over a particular people. And these men are identified as elders, or overseers, or shepherds. And they are to care for the flock that is among them. So we just got through with another CTK 101 class uh, this morning, and we touch on this question, uh, is church membership biblical? And it's texts like these, when I come to texts like these, that, that clearly answer the question in the affirmative. Because if you think about it, what's the point of elders, what's the point of Peter saying, shepherd the flock that is among you, if there's no church in which they are to carry out this particular work of shepherding? How will they know who to shepherd? How will they know who is among them? 
And equally, a church without elders will struggle and eventually cease to exist. So we see the importance of this sort of leadership here as Peter addresses his readers. In verse 1, Peter begins with the word, so, or you could also translate that as therefore. So whenever we see that, we know we have to look before, um, before everything before, and, and it hints back to what Peter has said in the previous verses. And all of 1 Peter is, is preparing the church for suffering. But these verses that we read last week uh, primarily dealt with how the Christian is to suffer well. Peter says suffering is coming. Don't be surprised by it. But also, don't, don't, uh, don't let it knock you off course. This is how you're to suffer well. How does the church walk through suffering is what Peter is answering for them. So now, Peter is saying in verse 1, something like this. Because you will suffer as the church, I exhort the elders among you to shepherd the flock. So Peter is saying that these elders will be the ones to help the church in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of persecution, steward God's grace well in the midst of a secular and hostile world. The elders will be the ones to organize and keep the ship steering in the right direction even when it gets caught in the storms of this world. And they do this by teaching sound doctrine and pointing their members to the truth and relevancy of the gospel. So remember where these elders are. They are among the people. They are rubbing shoulders with them. They are suffering from the same uh, sufferings that, 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 that their fellow members are suffering from. They are being persecuted probably even more because they are the leaders of the church just like their members. So they're not some, in some far-off distant land or, or they're not in some other city where they're just kind of writing these, these, shooting these letters over to these people and saying, be good and be safe. Hope everything works out for you. Okay. These, they, these, they were with them. And there's something to be said about this, especially in our digital age where we like to uh, listen to podcasts of other preachers. We have our favorite preachers, those famous preachers that we love to listen to. And I'm not downing or knocking any of those, okay? I listen to them as well. There's probably three or four that I listen to throughout the week. All of that is fine to listen to. And, and all of it's, it's good to, to learn from on a supplemental level. But you also have to keep in mind, as you listen to these preachers and interact with these other pastors and these elders, that they are not among you. They live somewhere else. They don't even know your name. They have no idea what you're walking through. Because for as many times as I hear, well, John Piper said this, I will always respond, and I love John Piper. That's great, but John Piper isn't going to be at your bedside when you're dying. But the elders among you will. And so now in verses 2 and 3, Peter, Peter turns his direct attention to the elders, to the task of the elder. Look there with me. 
Peter says, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So the first thing Peter tells these elders is to shepherd the flock, pastor them. So what is a shepherd? Well, the word shepherd in the Bible is synonymous with these other words that we use, elder and pastor and overseer. We hear it a lot in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But it's synonymous with these words just as the word flock is synonymous with the church or God's people. So never, never get offended if you're uh, referred to as the flock of God because that's, that's what the Bible titles us as, that we are a flock of sheep. So in the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28, you have a charge to those who would, uh, would shepherd God's flock. And, and Paul is getting ready to leave these. These are the Ephesian elders. And Paul is getting ready to leave these men. And these are some of the last words that he says to him that Luke records in Acts. He says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So just in these words, you can sort of feel the intensity involved in being a pastor of God's people. It's an office that, is, that should never be taken lightly. It should never uh, be treated flippantly, and especially it should never be abused in any way, shape, or form. There's never any excuse for any of those things. So in Hebrews uh, 13, 17, the first part of Hebrews 13, 17, puts an emphasis on this very thing. The author of Hebrews writes, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. And this is why you don't take this office flippantly. This is why you, you, you don't take it lightly. This is why you don't abuse this office. Because you have to get, the elders have to give an account for those they are to shepherd. And the person that they're giving an account to is not just a higher up in the denomination or a network. It's God they have to give an account to. So they are not to be like the shepherds charged in Ezekiel 34 with treating their flocks harshly and brutally and only caring for themselves. And sadly, this sort of, of abuse of the pastoral office still takes place. Men who enter into these, this role not as a means to shepherd the flock, but to take advantage of them. Or as God describes them in Ezekiel 34, 8. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherd, shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. So what they really are, what God is saying, is they are wolves set on devouring the flock rather than caring for the flock. They're not true shepherds. 
even though they may refer to themselves as shepherds or pastors or elders or overseers or bishops or whatever else you want to throw on that. And maybe you've had an experience like this with elders or people who call themselves elders. And maybe that's made you distrustful of the church and distrustful of its leaders. And I just want to say, I don't blame you. I don't blame you for being upset or angry or sad or, or, have, or have a hard time trusting because you have been uh, abused and maligned by someone who is supposed to be caring for you. It's a terrible and hurtful experience when someone who is supposed to care for you spiritually doesn't do that. And this is why I think Peter writes these words to these elders. Because he's been given this task by Jesus himself, who tells him that the role as shepherd of his people is twofold. To shepherd them and to tend to them. Those are Jesus' own words to Peter. Because, because this is what he says to him in, in, in at the end, before he is about to ascend into heaven. Jesus sees this as one of the most important things that he can say to his disciples. Feed my sheep and tend to them. Shepherd them well. And this, I believe, amongst the, you know, even in the entirety of the letter of 1 Peter, I think this is what frames what Peter is saying to these elders in verses 1 through 4. So, first, he says, a shepherd is to shepherd the flock. And part of shepherding the flock involves feeding them. I'd say a large part of shepherding the flock involves feeding them. If you've ever uh, owned any farm animals, they need a lot of food. Martin Luther rightly argues in his commentary on this passage, he says, to feed them is nothing, nothing else, nothing else, but to preach the gospel, whereby souls are nourished, made fat and fruitful, since the sheep thrive upon the gospel and the word of God. So taking Luther's words, let me just say this. If someone who called, and you can apply this to me as well and the other elders of this church too. I'm not exempt from these things. But if someone who calls themselves a shepherd or a pastor and doesn't preach the gospel, they are not a shepherd. If they are someone who stands before people every Sunday and they never open the Bible and read from it, they're not a shepherd. If they are someone who only uh, kind of just uh, chooses Bible verses uh, each week just to affirm what they need to say as they stand on their soapbox, they are not a shepherd. I don't care how many Bible verses are sprinkled in. They are not a shepherd of the sheep. Or if they are someone who takes the main point of their sermon from a movie or a superhero's attributes... They are not a shepherd. The shepherd is to feed the flock with the word of God, not movies. And most of the time, this is why places like this, the, these, these types of churches that are being led by these so-called shepherds are, are large and attractional. It's because, because this sort of preaching is hard to see and hard to discern at times because it's masked 
in spiritual language that makes it sound appealing to the hearer. Don't be fooled. Be a good, be a good Berean that, that, that checked Paul on what he was preaching. Go back and look say, is this true? Is this, is this what this shepherd is supposed to be doing and saying? So if your shepherd is not giving you a steady diet of the gospel from the Bible, they're not a shepherd, plain and simple. The second charge is to exercise oversight willingly. So exercising oversight involves knowing your sheep. But before I get to that, let me just say the reason why Peter is saying willingly is because these shepherds in Asia Minor, Peter knew, were about to experience intense persecution. So Peter did not want them to to feel like they were being forced into this position. Because as it happens, Satan will always attack the leaders of the church first. They are the tip of the spear. They are the ones who are guarding the flock. And so that's where the battle is coming first. And so Peter says, exercise your oversight willingly. This is going to be hard. And it still is hard today. So exercising oversight involves knowing your sheep. Who belongs in the among you that Peter is talking about? So this is why at CTK we have formal church membership. Because we want to know who is among us. Who are we uh, shepherding? Who are we called to oversee in our midst? This is also why we require that every member of of CTK is involved in a missional community. Not, Not so that we can micromanage your life, but so that we can know, as your shepherds, how you are doing spiritually. What burdens that that you might be carrying uh, that we can help you with. It's a practical means in which we, we break down the, the larger gathering of, of us here uh, into smaller ga- gatherings in order to care for the flock well. So another way you could say exercise oversight is to protect the sheep. So an elder fulfills this charge by keeping watch over them and knowing when to helpfully step in when correction is needed. So if you, if you know anything about uh, sheep herding, I don't know anything, but I do know this, that the shepherd is always there to keep the sheep, all the sheep moving in the right direction. He is leading them. And so a shepherd, an earthly shepherd, is to do the same thing. Willingly feeding them with the gospel and protecting them from that which isn't the gospel or ways of life that don't line up with the gospel. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul says to the young pastor Timothy these words. He says, Timothy, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity... Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. 
Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So this is the proper right and biblical behavior and duties of an elder. This is the shepherd who is walking uh, rightly according to how he is called. And in these same verses, you'll notice, Peter sprinkles in how an elder is not to shepherd as well. So in verse 2, that an elder is to shepherd the flock willingly and eagerly, not under compulsion, not being forced to do it. Or, or not for shameful gain, which, which means not for financial profit. And I just think it's hilarious that men will get into the, the pulpit. This is not a place uh, that, that, is, that is meant for financial gain. I'm not making a profit up here. Probably more like a loss. An elder is never to be one who seeks to, his, to use his office to power trip over those that he is leading. He's not an authoritarian leader. And sadly, many have been taken in by such leaders. So if you, if you listen to the, the podcast recently that, that came out about the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, you know that that, that happened there. Or, or Hillsong Church out of Australia. People were taken in by these leaders, these so-called elders and pastors, and still are. Even after all of that. But these are both tragic examples of men who called themselves shepherds and rather than feeding and protecting their flock with their authority, they domineered over them. And it ended in disaster. So instead of being domineering, Peter says in contrast, the shepherds and the elders are to be an example to the flock. So admittedly, I know when, whenever we call a man to, uh, to become an elder and start to think about it and to pray about it, this is one of the things that makes them fearful, is that they are to be an example to the flock. And they start thinking, how in the world can I be an example? I am an imperfect husband. I am an imperfect father. Um, I don't do everything right. You know, I don't say all the right words all, all of the time. You know, all of those things. The, the qualifications are, for eldership is not the qualifications for perfection. Jesus knows in the calling of earthly men to serve as elders that they are imperfect men. That they will, not be able to, uh, they will not be able to meet all these qualifications perfectly, which makes them in turn lean into Jesus, who is able to meet all those qualifications perfectly and who has met all of, the, all of those qualifications perfectly. Those are the type of men that you want. So if they're not fearful, then I would say we might not want you as an elder. <laughs> You're too confident in yourself. You need to trust Jesus more in this. But let me just say that there is a difference between being an example to people and being an expert, than being an expert to people. So, but it should be a man who is striving to bring God glory in every area of his life. A person who is quick to repent quick to admit his faults, quick to ask for forgiveness uh, from those he's wronged, quick to see the plank in his own eye 
and quick to see that he is a leader who leads with a limp. That he is not perfect. And these men set the culture in sharing the truth in love and in humility and in serving others. And the reason, the reason that elders do all of these things in this way is not so that they can be called the favorite elder or, or the cool pastor. The reason they, do, they live their life in this way is given in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, what Peter is saying is that the elder's eyes are always to be fixed on that which is ahead. So Paul calls this the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Our eyes should always be looking to Jesus. All times. Always looking to to Jesus, the chief shepherd of the flock, as well as the chief shepherd of his earthly shepherds. The elder is called by Jesus to exercise the chief shepherd's care. Well, now that Peter has laid out the duties of the elder, that was only point one. So, and now that Peter, he's, he's laid out the duties and the responsibilities of elders, he now turns his attention to the duties of the flock in verses 5 through 9, which is to follow with humility. Just look at verse 5. Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, immediately, Peter shows how those being led by the elders are to follow said elders. Okay? So, in our culture today, we are told over and over and over again to question authority. We are told to be suspicious of authority. And if authority says something we don't like or something we disagree with, well, you know what? We can just cancel them and then we can move on with our life because I am my own authority. I don't need anybody else over me telling me what I need to do and what I don't need to do. So I'll just move them out of my life or not listen to them. So this is especially true, and not just to pick on the younger generation, but, but this is especially true of the younger generation, uh, not only in our day, but Peter says it was true in his day as well. That's what he's saying here. He's talking specifically to those who are younger, knowing that they may be more apt to rebel against the authority of the elders. So I would just simply say, just be aware of this. Be aware of this. I have to remind my children sometimes that, that when, when I have to discipline them, which isn't very often, but when I do have to discipline with them and they don't like it, I have to tell them, remind them, you should be thankful for this. Because God has given you parents who love you and who are there to take care of you and to shepherd you and to show you how to live your life well. This is the same idea within the church. That God gives its churches shepherds and elders to shepherd the flock well, to care for the flock. It's something that we should be 
thankful for, not looking for a reason to rebel. But, just in case from being too heavy on, um, I sound like an old man saying the young people, but um, not that much older than you. But, but Peter also addresses to, to this to the whole church. He very quickly adds in verse 6, all of you, all of you are to do this. All of you are to clothe yourselves uh, with humility toward one another. So Peter is saying that the key to submitting to your elders is the gospel. And the way we do that is through humility. And the key to humility is looking at the one who humbled himself for you, uh, who made himself poor so that you could become rich. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, uh, speaking about Jesus, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the elders lead in humility by looking to Jesus, and those who they lead are to follow in humility, looking at that same Jesus. So the, the rest of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, putting it all together here. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So Peter is saying, leaders, uh, lead well because you'll have to give an account. And he's saying, uh, church members, uh, be a good follower. Be a joy to your elders. Uh, be led without groaning. Because that would be of no advantage to you. And this is what I think Peter means when he says to clothe yourself in humility uh, towards your elders. Is submitting with joy. As elders lead in humility, and that's the only way you're going to be able to submit with joy, is as elders lead in humility, not using their authority as a dictator would, but serving those under their charge. Likewise, those under leadership should be inclined because of this to follow and submit to their leaders with joy. So essentially, what's happening within a healthy church, is a, a culture of humility is beginning to exist in every local church from its leaders to its members. It's not just the members who are called to be humble and the leaders can be prideful. It's everyone is called to be humble. And Peter grounds this, this truth with a, with a warning uh, for those who refuse to be humble and an encouragement for those who are humble. From Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, there in verse 5, he quotes that. God opposes the proud, is against the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Opposes the proud, grace to the humble. So humility, just a simple equation, humility equals grace from God. Humility equals grace from God. And in verses 6 through 9, P- 
Peter paints a picture of what this is to look like within the church. So in verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. So the logic of verse 5 is found in verse 6. So since God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, therefore believers should humble themselves. And not only that, they are humbling, humbling themselves under God's mighty hand. You are not humbling yourself under my hand. And it's not mighty. But you are humbling yourselves under God's mighty hand. Big difference there. Which means that you are to receive your suffering from that, 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 God, uh, that God has ordained uh, for you as His will for your life. So instead of complaining or being surprised that suffering has come upon you or, or trying to avoid it or get through it, Instead, you should realize that the purification of God's house, of God's church, has begun, as Peter told us last week in chapter 4, verse 17. So even in Peter's choice of words here, he uses this phrase, under God's mighty hand, that is associated with God delivering His people out of Egypt in the Old Testament. So this again was, Peter's done this throughout his letter, where he is connecting his readers to the greater cloud of witnesses um, that, that were God's people. So these were Gentile Christians that Peter was writing to, so sometimes they could feel a bit uh, left out of Jewish culture. And Peter again, over and over again, is saying, no, you also are God's people. And so he uses language in this way to communicate that to them. But he's also communicating to them Just as God delivered His people in Egypt, which was an impossible situation, God is also going to deliver you. So just listen to Exodus chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. But I know that the king of Egypt, God speaking, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it, after that, he will let you go. So just as God delivers his people in the Exodus, he is also uh, delivering and redeeming his people in Asia Minor, in the first century, but also to you and to me. So then from verses 7 through 9, Peter tells us how to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. How do we do this? So first, the first instruction is found in verse 7. And that is to cast all your anxieties on Him. So because of the connection back to verse 6, verse verse 7 now infers that worry and anxiety are a form of pride. Worry and anxiety are a form of pride. So, if you think about it, in the first century, when they were being approached um, and, and, and persecuted and ridiculed for their faith, you would think this is a natural reaction for Peter's readers to have, to be anxious, to be worried about what will happen next, because they were feeling the pangs of being a Christian in a pagan society. So, of course, they were anxious, they were worried. 
But God here is saying, or Peter here is saying, that we are to cast our anxieties on God. So regardless of what it is that might be causing you worry or anxiety in your life, worry and anxiety are considered pride because you believe that you must solve the problem that has arisen in your life in your own strength. You believe you are the only one who can do that. So what you have done is you have fundamentally made yourself God. But, if you cast your anxieties on God... You, you functionally acknowledge that He is Lord, and as Stephen talked about earlier, and sovereign over all of your life. That He is the one that is in control. That, that what you think is out of control in your life actually isn't. That God has never removed His hand from His children. But Timothy Lane uh, who's a, a counselor, and he wrote a book called Living Without Worry, which is excellent, by the way. So if you wrestle with worry and anxiety, it's an excellent gospel-centered book. But this is just one quote from his book. He says, There is nothing that can happen today that God will not use for your good. And by good, Paul, talking about Apostle Paul, Paul means becoming more and more like Jesus. All the good things and blessings and all the hard things and the losses in all things, God is working for the good of those who love Him. Nothing will stop that from happening. And this truth keeps us from being anxious. So the next instructions are how to deal with the temptations you will face in the midst of suffering and so Peter calls on his readers again, as like he did back in chapter 1, to be sober-minded and watchful. And the reason we are to be sober-minded and watchful is because, specifically, the devil is a very active and real enemy to the church. So Peter refers to him aptly here as a, a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. He is, he is on the prowl. He is on the hunt. He's a deadly danger to the church. And he's a, he's a stark contrast to God's role as our shepherd who cares for and protects us. Satan, on the other hand, wants to terrify and devour us. He is a thief that wants only, as John 10 says, to kill to steal, and to destroy you. And Peter wants us to be fully aware of his plans. Look at verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So Peter's instructions to the church are simple, but active. Resist him, firm in your faith. So if you've ever resisted anything, or, or even to resist anything, you know that is not a passive act. You have to make some sort of movement. You have to work at it. So if you are resisting, you are active. You are doing something. So Peter says, 
we must be active in our resistance of the devil. One commentator said, the call to resistance does not summon believers to do Herculean acts on God's behalf. Believers are not encouraged to gather all their resources to do great works for God. No, resisting the devil means that believers remain firm in their faith, that is, in their trust in God. Believers triumph over the devil as they continue to trust God, believing that God truly cares for them, and God will sustain them until the end. And you do that by being in God's Word and being in community together, resisting the devil in that way. So to conclude, Peter now tells us how we are able to do all of this. And I promise this is a very short point. How are we able to lead with humility and how are we able to follow with humility? Look at verses 10 through 11. Peter says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this probably sounds familiar to you since this is how we've been closing our service every week since we've been in First Peter with our benediction. Um, but these words are also Peter's benediction. This is the end of his letter. We'll, we'll go over a few verses next week. But this is Peter's benediction. Uh, but, but it also contains the message of the letter as a whole. So Peter, in just those two verses, just summed up his entire letter to his readers. Because he's reminding them again that the hope that will sustain them, the hope that will sustain the church through its fiery trials of suffering is hope in the sovereign grace of God. Because it's God who stands at the beginning of your salvation, it's God who stands in the midst of your salvation, and it's God who will be there at the end. To the suffering, Peter says. He says you will suffer. But he says it will only be there for a little while. But the glory of God in Christ will be with you forever. Listen to how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal lasting and after we have suffered Peter says God will restore you he will confirm you he will strengthen you and He will establish you. And that, brothers and sisters, is our greatest hope. Amen. Let's pray.